Hey, Job. What do you want? To record a podcast, hopefully. I don't know about that one, Chief. I'll do my best. Yeah, well, I start now, you know. Anyway, uh, Pokemon? Yeah. Pokemon <laughs> did a Pokemon thing. Yeah, um, let's talk about Pokemon. The, I don't know. This is the 25th anniversary of Pokemon this week. That's pretty crazy that it's been that long. Doesn't feel like yeah, it. It's, well, I guess for us, it's not, like for Americans, it's not quite been 25 years. But, yeah. It's 25th anniversary in Japan. So, uh, how uh, is the Nintendo slash the Pokemon Company uh, celebrating this 25th anniversary? Well, they started it off with a uh, with a little uh, little conference thingy where they revealed some new information about upcoming Pokemon shit. For me to nice and early in the morning, I got up and watched it. I didn't. And uh, I watched it later <laughs> after everyone was already complaining. But yeah, you know, I just had to see why people were complaining, and it's it's the same reason everyone always complains on the Pokemon side of things. Right. They're so going to first gonna thing, anyway. <laughs> right. So we got the first thing we got in there was like this weird like compilation thing that just kind of showed every single Pokemon thing that's come out in the past 25 years. Like, literally every single thing. I thought that was cool. It shows how yeah, technology I, has uh, changed a lot. Yeah, but it was presented kind of cringe. Let's let's be honest here. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. It could have been done a little better than them just saying, like, anime, <laughs> like, over and over again. The <laughs> hashtags at the bottom was so funny. The hashtags, yeah. But oh I, I like the idea of it. I like the idea of showing off, you know, stuff like the link cables, stuff like the e-reader, you know, stuff that Nintendo doesn't talk about a lot. But yeah, like you had, to, you had to you had to use a USB drive yeah, to connect yeah. to the internet with the with the uh, with the world link and shit back in the day. Like all, all that stuff's wild. How far we've come as far as that's concerned. I think that's cool to see. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> so they announced two new upcoming Pokemon games. Yeah, so first things we got was, like, we something kind of got leaked, uh, Diamond and Pearl remakes. I think everyone knew they were coming anyway. Uh, their track record has been remaking all the gens, and they're just going to keep doing it forever. Probably, yeah. So we had, yeah, and, and they went a little bit of a different approach this time. Usually when you're when, with these Pokemon remakes, they've just been kind of, like, making it in the same exact engine as the previous Pokemon game. Yeah, so you would expect this to be in the Sword and Shield engine, and it, it's kind of it's a new thing, by the look of it. Yeah, so they what they decided to do this time. They did, first of all, it's, this is licensed out to a different company to make. That makes sense. Really, yeah, and it's it's licensed out to a mobile company, which is very weird. Oh, I actually didn't know that part. Well, yeah, they make I mean, they make a, they made like a bunch of the Pokemon mobile games. I don't think so. it'll turn out bad because they're probably going to remake it faithfully because they usually do with these kind of things. If, if anything, well, they add content. And... Mostly faithfully. Yeah. There's a couple... Uh, usually the, towards the end game is when they kind of open things up and change things around and, so, and a lot of the time add new content. Um, yeah, I remember that with... Uh... Ruby and Sapphire on the 3 Yeah, they went ham on that one. It was very. It was a really, really good remake. And same with uh, Heart Gold Soul Silver. 
they added a ton of extra content. Yeah, those might be like the best game. Pokemon games ever made, to be quite honest. Uh, yeah. They're up there. Yeah, Arcos Soul Silver is my favorite, personally. There's a lot of really, really cool stuff in that game. That yeah. still isn't in other Pokemon games. It's so weird. So this one... Able to just... <sighs> this one's weird. Because mm-hmm. I gotta say, like, if you talk to a lot of Pokemon fans, Diamond and Pearl is probably low if they're ranking all the gens. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one I've never played. I skipped Diamond and Pearl. Uh, I came back in for black and white because I was interested mm-hmm. again because like this is where you started to get at least in my opinion a little bit of fatigue when it came to let's add new evolutions mm-hmm. to existing Pokemon and this one has a lot of ones that I don't like at all I would have preferred them to just stay like one stage like no evolution Pokemon or <sighs> or not have baby forms and stuff like that. But there's a lot of that in that game. And, I don't know, it's just never been my favorite. Uh, I've seen a lot of people bitching about this new art style that they have for the overworld. I I don't think it's that bad, but... It's certainly, like, they've really decided to just, like, stick to the style that it looked like on the DS, which is really interesting. Yeah, like, it, it kind of, like, makes me feel like what, there has to be some kind of hook, some kind of reason for this to exist, some, some kind of reason for you to revisit it, right? And I don't know if this is actually proving that very well to me or not. Right. Like, stuff you, with you, Ruby Sapphire, like, it looked way better. And right. it had a lot of, like, features that weren't available back then, like, you know, new Pokemon and typing and wonder trading and like all this cool stuff and right what i'm worried about with this one is how faithful are we talking because they made sure they they said that it was a faithful remake yeah does that mean like no pokemon post gen 4 will be right in it? does it does it mean that it doesn't open up does it mean that like there's no new mechanics in there does it mean that there's no extra content you know they're gonna charge 60 bucks for this thing yeah that's what nintendo do so, the real question is how. What are they doing to add to it? Right. What are they doing to make this a different experience other than the one that looks only slightly better now, instead of significantly better? Pokemon, to be honest, but everybody. I like, I, yeah. I never was a fan of the 3D style of Pokemon. Actually, I think the best looking Pokemon game are the games of the black and white games. You like the pixel art Still. more. Pixel art's so much better, like, by a long shot. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, all right, so on the flip side of this, you have this new Pokemon game, which isn't, like, the next gen. It's like a side game, which also takes place in the the region from Gen 4, but, like, way in the past. And uh, it's, I guess, like, we don't know a whole lot of information about it yet. Uh, An open world pokemon game where you like actually run around this big giant environment throw your pokeballs at the pokemon and catch them and stuff and you know in in many respects this is the kind of game that a lot of fans of this franchise have been asking and begging for for years because i i I don't know at least like you know if you're me pokemon's the same game every time 
I, I would like something different. And I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. So yeah, they're trying something new, but I I think it really fails to impress. What, what's your take on it? So I think conceptually it can be interesting. The only thing is we really don't know much about it other than like they like shot for shot took shit from Breath of the Wild when they went with this. And <laughs> they um, did the like, wow, look at how big the world is shot. It's, yeah, except it looks much more like shit compared to Breath of the Wild. Yeah, the it graphics does have that are very really distinctly chunky. like three D Pokemon style, which is one that I dislike. It doesn't look any significantly better than Sword and Shield look. Right, and like, I don't think those games looked very good. No, a lot of people complained about them. You know, basically being. Probably something that could run on the 3DS for all intents and purposes. Like, maybe they'd have to cut a couple features. Maybe the frame rate would be bad. But overall, probably. Yeah. And I'm, what I'm worried about is it's going to look like that. I hope like, it's going to mm. look like that the entire time. And, like, even then, like, even if it doesn't look the best, I don't care as much. But then, like, Something that terribly concerned me was in your in their reveal trailer for the game, they show a scene where the character goes into tall grass, like crouches down and like stealth catches a Pokemon, right? When they're going through that grass, the frames drop heavy. Yeah. Heavy. And like if you have a frame rate drop in your reveal trailer, <laughs> How concerning is that, you know? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I think I'm concerned with, is the world going to be interesting to explore? Because that, that can make or break a game with this right. kind of open world. You can't world. just have, oh, you can find more Pokemon in this area where everything looks like a big forest. Like, no, you have to, like, make something more interesting. Yeah, like, one of the coolest things about the Pokemon series is all the different locales and environs you come across throughout all these games. And this just looks like a big, big open field. You know, it's, it's very clear that it's, you know, they're, I, I don't know, at least taking some inspiration from breath of the wild. Like people liked that. People liked that it was a big open thing, but breath of the wild wasn't just a big open field. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a yeah. ton going on in that game. Like the the whole their whole design philosophy for the whole thing was we want you to climb up to like on top of a hill or like scale a mountain or something and every direction you look you see something new and interesting you want to travel to. Yeah. Every time. That was their whole design philosophy behind Breath of the Wild and they followed that to a T and it was perfect, right? This, this doesn't look that interesting. I don't know. I mean, it's early. We don't. We, I mean, I think this. They said this coming out twenty twenty two. Early twenty twenty two is what they said. Yeah. Um, is this actually Game Freak making this? Yes. This is the. This is their main line. Like this is their new. Basically, their new main line game. Figure it's been two years since Sword and Shield came out. I, it, it, it'll yeah. be a little over two years since Sword and Shield when this when this new game comes out. I'm not certain that it's their new mainline because it's not a new gen, it's not a new area, it's it's uh it's Sinnoh. Yeah, but old well, it's, and like this, there's no new Pokemon as far as we know. Yeah, 
<laughs> what I mean is like that, they, that this is their newest like all hands on deck type beat. They don't even have people set aside to make, do do a remake like they did last like these previous times. Right. Okay. They're they're all hands on deck on this new game. Um, I mean, like you'd like to think that like some like a lot of the criticisms they had from Sword and Shield, uh, they listened to. Like you know, I doubt it. Maybe. Well, yeah, I know. But like, you'd like to think that they would. <laughs> I'm not convinced that they would. But like, we basically have a a weird situation where you know franchises like Mario and Zelda feel right at home on the Switch because they've had console games. Pokemon mm-hmm. never really has. Not not like a big one. You know, you have side games like Pokemon Stadium, not made by Game Freak. Or like only only like helping or whatever, but like their main forte has been handheld, and the Switch, while it is a handheld, uh, the games are sixty dollars, and you can play them on a big TV if you want to. And <laughs> I think that means you have to think about your games different. And yeah, I don't think they thought about them different with Sword and Shield. They did another same-ass Pokemon game. So, maybe with this, they're like, okay, let's try something different. Let's make a Pokemon game that's actually worth $60. But I'm not convinced yet. I need to see a lot more of it. I'm not going to fully write yeah. it off. Me but, neither. you know, it's yeah, really, just, really need, hard to say need, from that trailer. We need more information, for sure. I just want to know how the game actually plays. Um, it seems like like Pokemon battles are technically still turn-based, but they run off an ATB gauge instead of like a normal turn-based system. Yeah, Something like a lot of a lot of like more recent Final Fantasies have, where it's like you have a meter that fills up, and the meter fills up, you can attack. Honestly, Final so, Fantasy had a more interesting news weekend <laughs> than Pokemon did. And yeah, it did. Fucking. This one is more fascinating to me. I cannot I believe they are remaking Final Fantasy VII again. Well, they're actually remaking it this time. Yeah, instead of making it like whatever the fuck FF7 remakes series is. It's happening it's again, remake. but it already happened. It's like, uh... <laughs> But anywho... Uh... You know, I, I, I don't know what else I want from Pokemon. I definitely don't want Post Malone <laughs> uh, doing a concert in the sky, hanging out with Lugia, and, you know, saying the word sex on a Pokemon stream. Never thought I would see the day. Yeah, I think sucked. <laughs> I watched most of it. I fucking hated it. Why didn't they get Travis Scott? The whole thing was just, like, Post Malone doing songs. And then, like, just around him, like, oh, there's a Pokemon. Oh, look, there's a Pokemon. Oh, yeah. look, there's a Pokemon. Yeah, it was really hey, weird now to play. There's a Pokemon. Yeah. Just wasn't anything. I'm sure Post Malone had a great time, and good for him. But, like, sure. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was just a sex, though.
below every bubby. We're gonna get a jump show. That's Ken. Hey, how you doing? I'm uh, I'm Job. If you didn't know, this is the show. Who are you? I'm Job. Who the fuck? I'm sorry. I replaced I, I replaced Budge. Yeah, I thought I was part of the the Gredge and Budge show. <laughs> Gredge. <laughs> Gredge and Budge, dude. Mm-hmm. What a combination. Well, hey, we're going to talk uh, about Porco Rosso. We're going to talk about Pig Plane movie. Pig Plane movie with the Pig Plane. and well, mostly A lot of planes. A lot I, of planes. Mostly one one planes. thing I'll say about that movie is it got a lot of planes. If you like planes, you like about, that movie, I bet. It's about 90% planes. Yeah. Um, That's about it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And this is the yep. first time with a Miyazaki movie in our uh, watch-through of all of his works that I say that. I think right. the previous five, I loved. This one I disliked. So spoilers for our ranking later. At least I feel that way. I, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll get into it later. It's still a very good movie. Like, I'm not... I'm not I don't want to shit on Porco Rosso because it's good. It's real good. Recommend watching it to anybody and everyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's hard. You got to kind of be like a little bit like have like scrutinize a little bit further when it comes to these because like everything else is like ten out of ten. So like you know, it's a, an eight out of ten is okay. Not, right. Nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. Um, yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit later. First, um, I have a couple things that I actually want to talk about this week. I actually did some stuff. What did you do? Fun. Um, I tried out. This person going to talk about this new game I tried. Um, I played the demo for Outriders, which is uh, a looty shooty. Schlooty looty. Um, published by Square Enix, developed by People Can Fly. Um, it's coming out in a couple months, actually. It's Actually, Squeenix? a month from tomorrow. It's published by them, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I was about to make a joke that they were like, oh, fuck, Avengers died real hard. Uh, uh, how about this one? Yeah. So, basic premise of the game, which I find actually really interesting. So, Earth, Earth is a planet died... Um, you have a bunch of colonists going to try to find a new planet to survive at. Sick. They find this planet that seems inhabitable. They go to land down on it, and everything goes to shit. Um, you have these storms called the Anomaly, which literally just delete people from existence. Cool. You have to select few people. It doesn't delete them. And instead, it gives them superhuman powers and immortality. Okay. You were one of those people. After being frozen in cryosleep for 30-something years, you wake up and get hit by one of those storms, and it turns you into what they call that game the Altered. Um, From there, you kind of come back to realization of what's going on with the world and try to correct everything that's wrong. So I know from there because they don't give much information. You only play the first couple missions. Okay, but um, you're shooting people. You're shooting people and monsters. Oh, some okay. Monsters All right. In Who's like um, the warring faction then? Like I don't know. No, it's other humans. It's one of the main warring factions there. 
people who are because everything was run by like was basically like the space military right okay they basically set up getting people landed down on this new planet and there's a large group of people that felt like they were forsaken by by this military force and those people just want they're just like hell-bent on revenge and just want to kill all of them and so that's how the war starts and mm, they've been really okay. warning for 30 years and when you, you come into the picture they, yeah then you wake up and you're like oh shit everything's fucked okay so um what i've played a lot of these literature shooter games yeah how's this one stack um, up people right and that's the big thing i wanted to talk about here because i'm an avid destiny player love destiny i think it's a fantastic game um big part of that is bungie is just so good at making shooters that destiny always feels great to play on top of that um, Destiny does a really good job at giving you new, fun weapons and gear to try out. Conversely, with a game like The Division, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's the polar opposite of everything that Destiny stands for. I think it is – the premise is so incredibly basic. The environments are bland. The characters are bland, and there's normal military dudes. The yeah, guns yeah, are in, the guns and equipment and armor are no in no way actually unique or interesting whatsoever. Maybe if the game was political, it'd be interesting. But you know, uh, alas, right. it is not political. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, it's not very. Uh, I don't like that game at all. I think it's I think it's rather shitty, and I'm surprised that people like it so much. But being honest. Well, uh, so work. You, you know, you get, get Resident Evil characters in the division now. I don't care. Yeah, I know. Me either. <laughs> so, where I think Outriders lands is kind of in the middle point between these two. Because it has, like, it's, like, crazy exotic fantasy elements, sort of like Destiny does. Mm-hmm. But on the same hand, it is sort of, like, more of, like, a, a gritty... Like a military style shooter, like the division is, where it completely stands out. Out of the division, though, is like your classes are superhuman, so you have some really wild abilities at your disposal. Yeah, that seems to be a big appeal of Destiny. You got like fire, ice guns, and shit. Yeah. Yeah, space magic, Mm -hmm. which this game has its own space magic as well. I decided to play as uh, a tank class in the game. Um, the game does a really good job at the beginning telling you exactly what each class is and what it specializes as, which I find to be super cool. You have four different classes. You have the pyroman- you have like a pyromancer class, which is like you're pretty much straight middle of the road, mid-range style class that uses fire abilities to like light people up and stuff. Okay. You have a far-range class called a techromancer who excels best at far-range. And the way that they set up these ranges and making sure that you're sticking to them – you get bonus healing when you kill an enemy at your desired range, at your class's desired range. So, for example, at a, as a techrom, technomancer, tech, yeah, I think it's a technomancer. That's what it's called. That's a cool name. If you right. if you snipe something from far away, you're gonna get health back. But if you like run to something a shotgun it, you don't. Okay. So it kind of encourages you to keep your like keep at the distance your class recommends. 
which is fine because your abilities also encourage that, so you want to do that anyway, but it kind of reminds you to do it. Yeah, your, your, I think your abilities would, would complement your playstyle in that right, regard. Right, exactly. Sure. Yeah, I find that super fascinating. Um, but they're, like, the Technomancer class is like totally based on like using the different gadgets and support abilities to kind of buff your team and, uh, you know, nerf the enemies, which I think is really cool. The class I picked, um, I forget exactly what they're called, but it's the, it's the primary tank class of the game. You're, you're meant to be in the front lines. You gain health for killing people at a close range. And your abilities complement that as well. One of your abilities is you literally just get rock armor. The guy, like, reaches into the ground real quick and pulls up the earth as a shield. And it covers your whole body, and you can run into enemies and take less damage. He has, like, a ground pound ability, where you slam the ground and the earth like the earth comes up and knocks people away and shit. Okay. And then, then the favorite one, my favorite one I've unlocked so far, your character goes up in the air, and you go into kind of, like, a targeting screen. And you pick a location, and you, like, Superman slam down at that location, and the enemies in the area affect around it get dealt massive damage. And some of them, like, weaker, weaker rank-and-file enemies just literally explode. Oh, sick. You know, a gory mess when you hit them with it. That's fun. Which is, which is really fun. <laughs> this game does a really good job at making you, making you feel powerful when you're doing your space magic, which is super important. So I think like the division in particular really fails to do. You really just feel like a rank and file military guy. Everything's really bullet spongy. You don't have anything super crazy you could use at your disposal. Just shoot it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's super like vanilla and boring, and this game kind of remedies that. Now, I compare it to Division a lot because this game is also a third-person shooter, like the Division is. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. It's not first-person. Usually the schlooty looties are first-person, yeah. Right. I prefer first-person shooters to third, but it's never a turn-off for me, as long as the uh, the game's good. I could do either. I mean, like, sometimes I prefer third-person. Like, it really depends on what kind of game the game is, really. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to see the character or not. You know, something like, uh, I don't know, like... Resident Evil 4 or Gears of War has a lot of, like, focus on, like, the characters and stuff. So, like, seeing them all the time is good. And, you know, you need that. But something like Doom (laughs) or, like, a Far Cry, you're kind of just, like, you know, you don't have a lot of character. You're just a guy, basically. So first person works better like i think it's like a storytelling choice in a lot of ways yeah so it's weird that this is third person because it feels like you know you are just a guy in a lot of way in a lot in a lot of respects <laughs> same with division but uh mm-hmm. if it's uh you know cover based mechanics could deal with that as well i suppose yeah yeah this is like a, this is this game does have like a lot of cover cover based mechanics and i think you use you use cover the like cover system a lot more if you're a class that's based on being further away sure okay. um i don't my class is specifically meant to get in there so i'm hiding behind cover a lot less than the other classes because if i hide behind cover and try to pepper stuff i'm not going to get health bonuses or anything and plus, my abilities force me to go in if I want to make them effective. So I'm in there. 
And I usually like my might I primarily used a shotgun or like a light machine gun. Okay. I just go right in there. And that's really fun. The last class, um, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like a trickster class. Um, they're also a melee range class, but their whole thing is designed around like like doing like severe like crowd control. Like they're squishier than, than the tank classes, but they could like teleport around and like they're much faster. And they and they could like crowd control freeze enemies and stuff. Okay. They literally have like a teleports behind you. Head ass ability. Umewa <laughs> Moishi Yeah, dude. <laughs> Super cool. They're designed to like be at melee range and like harass people with that stuff. It's really interesting. Now, at first, uh, I thought the game was a little boring because we just fought like regular like rank and file dudes. And then near the end of the main story of the demo, it throws out another altered at you as a boss. And then that's where shit gets crazy because they're throwing crazy space magic at you too. And that's really, really fun. Um, the one guy we played, we fought, was a, like a lightning user. He was like casting down like moving storms all over the place. We had to constantly change our positioning in combat. We weren't able to just sit behind cover because he would just detonate the cover and you had to get out of the way. It was really, really fun doing that. If that's a good chunk of the game, between fighting like those guys and maybe like beasts and stuff like that, which I know are things you're going to fight in the game, I'm on. I'm, in, I'm on board. Um, on top of that, you don't just get, like, there are just, like, regular look-at-ass guns in the game. The, but, the Desert Eagle. Right. <laughs> but then, like, while we were playing, I was playing with my brother, and very suddenly, he gets a gun, he's like, this is, like, this is a legendary gun. He almost goes and puts it on, and it looks crazy. Looks like a, it looks like a bark of a tree that was imbued with magic or something it was absolutely wild it looked cool as fuck well that's cool it's cool it gives me hope for like late game stuff yeah, yeah. it gives me hope for like late games like the, the the cooler weapons in the game are gonna be way cooler instead of like i keep going back to division as an example where it's just like a, a, another gun but it's like got a got a gold name <laughs> you got a gold ak-47 nice right. <laughs> This game's like you have a you have a magic tree branch as a weapon. Have fun. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's all super cool. I'm a, I do want to play the game. Not sure if I'll buy it on day one, but I would like to go through it because it looks like it feels feels good mm -hmm. to play. It's a lot of fun. Um, Is it just a like beta really right now or whatever? Yeah, it's a demo that they put out. It's just like the first section of the game with a few side quests. Okay. The game also has fully functional drop-in, drop-out co-op with cross-play, which is really cool. Hmm. That is cool. For, so, at launch, cross-play. That's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of games, especially this generation, have that. That's good. Mm-hmm. Everything very, very, Yeah. Very excited about that. Um, but yeah, it seems really like a really interesting game. Um, one little fun fact before I stop talking about it. Me and my brother started the game together um, at the same time. 
and you have to start the game by yourself and like complete the prologue chapter and like select your class and everything before you're allowed to play co-op. So we did it. We meet up for the first time. And no joke, without even trying, my brother's my twin, okay? We're identical twins. We made characters that looked literally the exact same, with just different earrings on. <laughs> they looked literally identical. By complete accident. <laughs> and that game has a pretty decent character creator, too. Like, uh, we played with our friend Thomas, and his... His character looked completely different from ours. Yeah, you know what's funny is I talked to your brother a little bit earlier, and he told me the story already. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you know already. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. Geez. How do you even manage? See, I, I don't know how that would happen because, like, I thought you would make like a monstrosity because you often do that in games. I know that for a fact. Yeah, the game doesn't have too many options for you to make a character that looks terrible. Like, I couldn't make the Milkman. <laughs> yeah. In that game. The Milkman. The, the Milkman is a horrendous-looking giant man that I made in Dark Souls, specifically to go into PvP. Right. He was naked and had a giant club. Yeah. And the dude looked terrifying. <laughs> the Milkman's coming. <laughs> yeah, dude, I always, always love just, to, like, you know, to appear on people's speed. You've been invaded by the Milkman. Yeah, that is scary. And I show up with a giant club and just walk towards you. Um. Yeah, game's really cool. I'm, I'm interested in diving more into it. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll talk about it a little more once I get it. An update on if it stays this interesting the whole way through. We'll see. But it's it's uh it's over a month out. I have another game I want to play that comes out before that. It's going to take me some time. It's a new Monster Hunter. Just comes out in three weeks. Cool. And I'll be definitely talking about that once it comes out. Because, oh man, I'm excited about that game. The Switch one. Tell you what. Mm -hmm. Monster Hunter Rise. It's on the Switch, but it's they got it running in the same engine as World. Which is fun. It's looking pretty good, man. I, I'm it's very pretty good. for a Switch they game. It looks insane. They massively expanded like the stuff you can do too. Yeah, I don't know how they did it either. Like it's it's pretty wild what they were able to accomplish on weaker hardware. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, did you do anything interesting, Ken? Uh, as far as video games go, not really. Uh, I've been continuing to play Shadow of Mordor, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, it's a good game, but it's very repetitive and kind of like one note. Um, there's a lot of ways you can approach situations, I suppose, but, you know, it's just like find orc, kill orc or you know you could choose not to kill orc and maybe like make him stronger before you kill him for more xp and or like uh go go do this little sword mission go do this little bow mission just kill just kill a bunch orc bow kill a bunch orc sword it, like it's really checklisty in that regard um <laughs> And, like, none of the story missions are really, like, pulling me into a story or anything. Like, I like the world because it's Middle-Earth, and it's Mordor. There's orcs being assholes everywhere, and that's fun, but I'm not very invested in the story. 
at all. Uh, I I don't know. It, it ain't it ain't really. It's not a whole lot of like a pool for me. I I will say one thing that really threw me off is uh, I did not know Gollum was in the game. But Gollum's in the game, and he looks like the movie Gollum. And I was like, holy shit. Sure does. Gollum's in the game. And then he, like, started talking, and I was like, that's not Andy Serkis. They didn't get Andy Serkis, you kidding me, bro? No, they did not. That was... But, like, you know, like, you know, whoever did the voice is, is doing his best to sound like Andy That was Andy 2013. Serkis. It's fine. That was 2013. They, 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 it was... You were at the weird point where... Fortnite didn't happen yet, so all this license shit's not going on with video games. Sure. They are video games are big enough to get the uh, big enough to use the property, but not big enough to use everybody from the property. Yeah, you can't get Andy Circus, so like you get like you know like the the straight to video Disney movie sequel version of Gollum, where like yeah, it's Gollum. He sounds like Gollum. He talks like Gollum, but like, it's not, it's not Gollum, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, oh, Aladdin too. Okay, but that's not Robin Williams as the genie, and you could tell, you could tell pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, um, I he's so far. Like besides like obvious ones like uh, Sauron, I guess he's he's the only like character in this game that is from the movies, and he feels really forced in. At least at the moment, I feel like they just like felt like they needed a character that people recognized to be in the game, so that people would play it. I mean, like, I didn't know Gollum was even in it. He was not a factor in me playing Shadow of Mordor. Uh, the factor of me playing Shadow of Mordor was that, like, cool enemy system where they, like, level up and, like, talk to you and shit. And, like, you have, like, little stories going on. Although I, I, I was not aware that they were kind of procedurally generated. Which is super funny. Uh... Like, the orcs have randomly assigned uh, stats, characteristics, strengths, weaknesses, and names. So, uh, this is on my Twitter, if you want to take a look at this. Uh, <laughs> I ran into an orc, and, like, you can do this, like, little cool little thing where, like, if you go into the, uh, the vision of the elf spirit who is with you... Uh, it lets you zoom in on nearby, like, named orc lieutenants and captains and stuff. And it'll, like, zoom in on him, you know, his position in the map. And then he'll say the orc's name, and you can look at their, like, strengths and weaknesses and stuff. If you have them unlocked from, like, interrogating another orc. Uh, so I, <laughs> I had one the other day where, like, it zoomed in and the dude said, Douche! And then, <laughs> like, <laughs> it was D-U... S.H. was the name of the orc. But, like, come on, man. <laughs> it's, like, it's like big, dramatic zoom-in. Douche, the orc. 
What a douche. So anyway, uh, that's still going. I'll probably... Oh, hi. All of a sudden, I'm a lot more tired. Yeah, me too. If you're wondering why, it's because in the middle of our recording last night, I completely lost internet. Yay. And not like... And not like it's a random, like, oh, my router went down. No, my entire area had an internet outage. Sick. So we had to stop recording and pick it back up in the morning. I don't. Here we are. I don't remember what I was talking about. I kind of do. Shadow of Mordor something or other. It was, you talk about something on your Twitter about Shadow of Mordor. You got that far? I don't know when the recording, uh shit out on you uh right so you've played shadow of mordor yep uh do you remember the feature where like you can go into like the uh the ghost vision like you become like the elf guy and uh you can see through walls and stuff so if there's a named orc lieutenant captain war chief whatever in your vicinity They'll be red, and you could click R3 to zoom in on them, and it'll give you their strengths, weaknesses, and stuff. But also, that elf character, I forget his name, uh, he's a pretty important character in Middle-Earth history, Tolkien history, but uh, I forget his name because it's not Legolas or something. Uh, <laughs> fucking whatever. Uh, Cinnamon Bun, the elf, uh, he says the name... Of whatever that named orc is. And that could create some pretty funny results, I found out. Because the the orcs' names are all procedurally generated. As are the orcs themselves. There's like, you know, I've already seen in my brief time with the game... Mm -hmm. uh, Repeated orc designs with different names and strengths and weaknesses. But like I've seen the design before. And yeah. that's not surprising, considering the amount of, like... The system's designed to be endless. You know, like, every time you kill an orc captain, uh, some random orc will take their place. Uh, or, you know, if there's an empty spot and a random orc killed you in combat, he'll get promoted because he did a c- cool thing. Because he, like, killed you. So there's whatever kind of like name list generator they have. I I zoomed in on this guy and and the elf guy says the name. And it's like a real epic zoom in. It goes like real douche. <laughs> that orc's name was douche. That's fucking great. Uh, D U S H. So you know, clearly not D O U C H E. Clearly not. Ugh, uh, not even close, baby. <laughs> I I think like I also fought an orc earlier in the game called Zadush, which sounds a little more like a real orc name. Uh, I think there's just like several connecting tissue of names and it can be simplified or like bigger. Uh, 
because the douche sounded like from him saying za douche but it was just douche <laughs> and like i don't know i guess they didn't think about that before they uh hit release game <laughs> hit the release game button but anyway uh that that game's all right yeah, I'll probably not talk about it again until I have beat or 100%ed it, depending on what I do. I'm definitely going to 100%ed it. It seems easy enough to do. That plat doesn't seem very hard. Uh, there's a couple fun things, like uh, you have to like get killed by a random orc, and then... He'll he'll get promoted to captain, and you have to assist his climb up the orc ladder, all the way to war chief, and then kill him. So it's basically like you have to let an orc, you know, get all the way up there, which is sort of part of the story actually. But like you have to do it with like a random orc that specifically kills you. Anywho. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? I do, uh, no. but I wanted to see. No, I'm good. I spent plenty of time talking about Outriders. So I'll save it a break out for next time. All right, well... I spent like a half hour talking about that fucking game. <laughs> besides Shadow of Mordor, I haven't really played a lot of video games. But I have been reading. So, I'd like to talk about Dune... Mm, you finally finished it. I finished Dune. It's a big old 800-page mm-hmm. book. Took me a Large while. Large man. And I was specifically taking my time with it because... I don't know. Uh, I, I was having trouble reading it like any other book because I had to kind of like... Uh, like study the material, I guess? A little bit? Like I don't, I don't know. That's probably not the right word, but like... Dune is pretty dense in in the fact that, like, it introduces a lot of new terms and concepts to you, the reader, that are alien to you. But it does such a good job of, like, immersing you in that, that, like, little universe that it works. It's just like, you know, reading a chapter of Dune probably gives you, like... 16 questions if you are a Dune noob like I was. But having finished the first novel, uh, I'm very excited to eventually start the sequels. And I can safely say uh, what people have been probably saying for 50 to 60 years. Dune's pretty alright. It's pretty good, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty hacking good. You've read Dune? Yes, I have. Long time ago, I um, read it back when I was in high school. Okay. Um, but I have, I have, I have two copies of Dune. Actually, um, I have the one that I read all the way back. That it's a paperback that's pretty messed up. And the other one I got at a garage sale recently. It's a very, very nice old hardcover. For Christmas, I got a uh, new paperback design. With uh, it also came with the sequels, Dune Messiah and. Uh, uh, Children of Dune? I think that's the third one. They all have, like, none of them have numbers in the title, so I'm going to get confused eventually. 
It's all just like Dune something else, or something of Dune. Dune, 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 Dune. Dune 2000 would have been a good title, but that's just a video game, I think. I'm hearing, I'm hearing your phone dingies, by the way. Yeah, I turn on. I'm good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, like... Just forgetting our normal procedure, because I just rolled out a fucking bed. Very true. Understandable. <laughs> Have a nice day. Uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting that, like, now I've read Dune, I'm seeing Dune everywhere in places that I never saw it before, because, like, yep. its influence is really vast. It's incredibly and fast. It's hard One of the to, most like, but, it, but it's hard to realize that without having actually sat down and read it. Right. But now I'm like, oh, so, like, everything's Dune, <laughs> actually. Uh, right. You know, whenever you see a sandworm that's or Dune. a big old worm, like, that's Dune. Like, God, I was just playing fucking Code Veronica the other day. Which, like, really doesn't have anything to do with Dune. But it has a sandworm in it. And I'm like, okay, so, like, there is a, a domino <laughs> here that gets knocked over with Dune that leads all the way up to this bad Resident Evil game has a worm in it that digs through the sand. <laughs> and I'm like, it's everywhere. There's, like, just its influence in, like how it told its story and the level of like depth to its concepts and ideas and like, you know, big ass appendix in the back of glossary of terms, you know, all yeah, that shit in. is hella, hella influential and iconic. Um, I think walking away from it, my favorite uh -huh. thing about Dune is that while it did inspire stories like Star Wars that have a conventional good guy, bad guy philosophy, uh, Dune is really morally gray the whole time. The mm -hmm. characters go through a lot of development and changes, but not always into better people. Like, Paul, your main character, uh, like, he certainly becomes a more powerful character, and he succeeds at the end of the book, but there's a lot of red flags that kind of go like, alright, well, he defeated the bad guys, sure, but, like, is he a good person, or is he just also a warmonger now? Is is he just, like, an asshole? Yeah. That will let his, like, now, like, basically terrorism regime run rampant across the rest of the galaxy, which is, like, a thing that he wrestles with throughout the entirety of the book. And then, like, by the end of it, he's kind of just like, it's gonna happen anyway. Yep. And yeah, that's, that's super interesting to me, because in more conventional hands, he would just be Luke Skywalker, right? Mm -hmm. He would not have 
a bad bone in his body and he would defeat the bad guys and go like a new legacy of peace is here. But Dune is more interested in presenting honestly something more realistic, even though its world isn't. Uh, but it feels realistic because it's described in such a way that you believe it because it's crafted so carefully. I really respect that. And I've been hearing interesting stuff about the sequel, Dune Messiah, that is really interesting to me because history repeats itself. I guess people initially that were fans of Dune hated Dune Messiah because it paints Paul as even worse or more flawed or more fucked up. And people didn't like that. Because I guess people like you know I, me reading Dune in twenty twenty one here, I was like, oh, Paul's an asshole. It doesn't make him not fascinating, but he is kind of an asshole. But I guess not as many people picked up on that back then, and mm-hmm. just assumed he was like the hero. So when he made a sequel novel that kind of went deeper into bad aspects of the character or negative aspects of the character, people kind of, like, didn't like it. And that's interesting to me. Yeah, it's a different time, I think. Uh, Maybe, but, like, look at something like The Last Jedi and how Luke is portrayed and how legions of Star Wars fans are like, this sucks, Luke wouldn't do this. I think that's kind of interesting if if you take a character that's like, quote-unquote, the hero, and kind of like approach them more realistically. I always found that part of Last Jedi pretty interesting and good. Not every aspect of Last Jedi is <laughs> interesting and good. But I'm curious to see what direction the movie takes and whether that will also just piss people off or not. Uh, but the movie's only going to adapt half of the first book, so we'll see if Dune as a franchise, as a film franchise, I should say, even gets off the ground. Uh, yeah. If they finish the whole story of the first one, it will probably be enough. Like, I'm satisfied with where Dune ends. Like, I don't need a sequel, necessarily. I like the... Like, it has, like, a, it's, it leaves it open for a lot of stuff to happen, but an imagined history that has, like, a dark tinge to it is is kind of satisfying of an ending for me. Yeah. But I will read the, the sequels, because... At, at least up to the death of Frank Herbert, because I don't know how good they continue to be under the pen of his son. We will see. But, yeah. Uh, d- doing real good. That's some fascinating shit. Yeah, I fucking I loved it, man. It's really good. And yeah, like like you were saying, you see its reference everywhere. It's one of the most important like fan like sci-fi fantasy books ever made. Um and it's I I just love how fascinating it is. Like it's I think my favorite aspect is the world building of it. Um I never read a book that was like 
there's still not that many books around that are that like in depth. I think one of the, one of the only things that really come that close to source world building goes is like Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah, it has that level of like like craft and care about what they're making. Right. Yeah. The world that they're building through that's super specific, and you tell like so much time was spent on just making every detail. It's super, super cool. I love that about it. It's a bit overwhelming at first, but like once you like start getting into it, it 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 opens up real good. It's like almost the like like history, right? Yeah, we're like you get to once you like you know recognize you get used to everything about like this culture. Basically, it kind of everything makes a little more sense. Everything's easier to handle. Yeah, like honestly, I, I feel that. like Dune would really benefit from just reading it again. Now that I know what everything is, because like you're reading the first chapter, you're like, "What is a Muad'Dib?" What is a Benny Gesserit? What is a what is any of this? <laughs> but now I know what all of this shit means, and I know like how it plays out in the story. So like, honestly, like starting it over again isn't a bad idea. I'm not going to because I think I'm just going to read the sequels, and those will probably have a similar effect because I'll know what they're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. like it is. It, I would note that at least perusing those two sequels that I have, they do not have an extensive appendix and glossary of terms. Only the first book does, and that's because, well, you're gonna know that stuff by the book two, because mm-hmm. you've been through 800 pages of Doom. Yeah, which honestly makes all those books a little easier to read too. Yeah, I could see like that. Much, much easier to read. Because you already kind of know everything. Yeah. Um, Dude, Messiah's way shorter too. <laughs> I think. I think I've read the second book. I read anything else past that. I'm very, so. very curious to look into it. But reading Dune to Electric Boogaloo uh, is uh-huh. is going to have to wait a little bit for me because I got some other stuff to read that I want to talk about briefly. Uh, so I'm in the middle of being obsessed about Resident Evil. I've been playing through every single game, uh, in the series, uh, with your brother, Josh. Uh, it's a fun thing. Right now we're on Code Veronica, I just mentioned it. Um, Mm -hmm. but... I think we're going deeper than just playing the numbered entries and canon entries. I think we're playing, like, the shit ones, too. And Tell you. Uh, I, I don't know. Listen in on a future episode to see what we think about those. Probably that they're bad. Uh, thankfully, you know, you can uh, somehow get these games without buying them. I, I don't know. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say how... On a podcast, it just with magic you can do that. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I um, but I purchased some novels, some Resident Evil novels, uh, because I was curious. Uh, I've heard about them for a long time, so these are all. There's seven of them. 
uh, all written by S.D. Perry, who I, I guess kind of has always done this kind of thing, writing tie-in novels and expanded universe things. Like uh, She's also written stuff for like Alien, Predator, stuff like that. Uh, and I've heard about these for a while because a couple of them are original novels and a lot of them are like most of them are just adaptations of the games straight up uh, until Resident Evil Zero then then they stop which uh, sucks because now I found out that they're actually kind of good and I, I want a Resident Evil 4 book by S.D. Perry but it doesn't exist because she stopped making Resident Evil books before Resident Evil 4 came out. Sad. But anyway, uh, I've finished the first one, The Umbrella Conspiracy, which is based on Resident Evil 1, and I'm currently reading Caliban Cove, the second one, which is based on nothing. It is an original idea. Uh, It's like a solo story with Rebecca. And then they keep going. Uh, it also adapts Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil Code Veronica, and Resident Evil Zero. And then there's another original story in there as well. And there's there's some inconsistencies and stuff that's like interesting, but nothing that would like ruin the experience for anyone, I, I suppose. I really okay. enjoyed the first book. I was actually really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, now, I, d- I don't know how much... like a person who's never played Resident Evil 1 would enjoy it. I think that the main reason I enjoyed it was because it's, like, expanding on stuff from that game and, like, describing, like, characters, like, going through the rooms and going, like, through the puzzles and stuff is fun and entertaining for someone like me who has played Resident Evil 1. But I don't know how entertaining that would be to someone who, like, hasn't. It might just feel like, you know, they're just describing rooms and puzzles. And then they solve the puzzle. But, like, for me, it's like, yeah, that's the fucking statue room, yeah! <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm, like, into it. Uh, I think the coolest thing that book does is it actually presents you... Probably the closest thing to the canon events of Resident Evil 1 that has ever been written or shown or played. Because the weird thing is that the survivors of that first game uh, have to be Chris Jill and Barry Rebecca, canonically. But in playing it, you're you're only going to like play as Chris... And be able to rescue Jill and Rebecca, and then Barry is nowhere to be seen. Or play as Jill, and rescue Chris and Barry, and Rebecca is nowhere to be seen. And that's true in the remake as well. So, like, it's weird. (laughs) And also, what you have to believe for those is, like, if you play as Chris, Jill gets locked up, and you have to go save her later. And vice versa, if you play as Jill, you have to rescue Chris. You don't have to. You could leave him to die if you want. That's really super not canon if you want that. But, uh, <laughs> same with the, the partner characters. Uh, when Rebecca gets attacked by a hunter, you could choose not to go help her. And she just dies. <laughs> and, and, like, 
the Barry one's more dramatic because you find out that he like betrayed you a little bit, and you could just choose to not not give him his gun back, and he gets absolutely slam jammed by Lisa Trevor. It's good shit. <laughs> just like Escape is the only one left alive. Very not canon. But yeah, so like it's it just always struck me as weird that like. We, with all the sequels, are supposed to believe that, like, both characters did stuff the whole time, and all of these characters survived, but we never see them all together, and we never really see them interact with each other, and the book remedies that by having Chris and Jill just kind of, like, go on their own separate paths through the mansion, and have their own adventures, and interact with their side characters, Barry and Rebecca, respectively, uh, and then at the end of the game, they're all there, and they all escape, and they all talk to each other and shit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what would actually this is what actually happened. Wow, <laughs> like none of the games actually do that. Uh, there there's inconsistencies with like how characters are portrayed later in the canon, and and like how things are in the the universe, like. These were written really early. Like, I think the first two books came out when Resident Evil 2 came out as kind of, like, tie-in stuff for that. It didn't cover Resident Evil 2. Mm, It covered the first game and an original story. But, like, as such, (laughs) there's kind of a lot of inconsistencies. Like, you know, for example, uh, the stars, the super cop group... That is Chris, Jill, Barry, Rebecca. Um, in in the games, they tell us that's just that's just a wing of the Raccoon City Police Department. They're literally just cops. They're like super cops, video game cops, <laughs> but like they don't have jurisdiction beyond being cops. But that isn't necessarily how they're portrayed in that first game. They don't, like, expand on what that means. That they're just like, they're part of stars. So I can understand someone... I'm a member of stars! Yeah, I can understand someone being like, that sounds like a government organization of some sort. Like a like a fucking like FBI operatives or CIA operatives or something, right? Mm-hmm. And that is kind of how they are approached... In the novels, like, there's stars, branches, and bunches of cities, and they are more like a different, like, jurisdiction than the local police force. They assist local police forces, but they are kind of their own thing. And I think that makes a lot more sense than what is actually going on in the Resident Evil games where there's just like, yeah, in this little small nothing town of Raccoon City, we have like all of these fucking ex-military badasses just just hanging out on the police force to counter terrorism in Raccoon City, which like it comes in handy when the zombies show up, but I don't know what they were doing beforehand. Probably nothing. Because, like, what terrorism's going down? <laughs> like, I don't understand. Uh, that actually makes a lot more sense to me, but, like, it's an inconsistency. What can you do? 
Oh, and Wesker's a completely different character, but I liked that. Uh, like, there's no reason for them, for, for S.D. Perry in 1998, to know that they were going to do to Wesker what they did to Wesker throughout the history of this series. So, like, Wesker's just an asshole who wants, like, money. And, and then he dies, and he's like, fuck, I'm dead, and that's it. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, Wesker kind of like is funny and but like kind of sucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, like by the time you get to Resident Evil five and he like becomes a giant goop monster and you fi- fucking fist fight him on an active volcano. I'm like, this is stupid. He should have just died in the first one. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> like, so I kind of preferred him to be a more realistic bad guy in, in this novel. It was kind of cool, um, and not like super lame where he like has Matrix powers <laughs> and shit. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. She's gonna have to adapt Code Veronica here. I don't know how you do that and keep up the no facade idea. of uh, serious writing. Because, like, Resident Evil 1 is so low on, like, actual plot that, like, you know, S.D. Perry has a lot of opportunities to rewrite things to make them better and dialogue make more logical sense. Like, the Jill Sandwich line's still there and stuff like that, but, you know, the dialogue isn't stilted and awkward and poorly written. It's rewritten in a way so that everything makes sense. And you get, like, characters' internal dialogues and rationalization of things. And that stuff makes sense. But I don't know how you take Code Veronica and make any of it make sense (laughs) and stick to the story that was written. I really don't know. I'm super curious to see how that fucking turns out. Uh but right now I'm on the second one, which is uh, it's pretty good so far. I'm kind of surprised for like a side story that like has nothing to do with anything and is like basically only features Rebecca as a returning character. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't care about most of her like original characters that she puts in here. Like there's other stars operatives from like Maine. And, like, I don't know, I feel like they're just all probably going to die by the end of this because, you know, they're not, like, a named Resident Evil character. They're going to they're gonna bite it super hard. Rebecca will live, though. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'll talk about that one once I'm done with it. I- I'm curious to see, like, like, if it ties back into anything. It- it's cool to, like, have scenes with these characters talking to each other because... Oddly enough, that's something you don't get in Resident Evil a lot. Like, you know, you're told that, like, Chris and Barry know each other from way back, but, like, I don't think Chris and Barry have a single scene together in any of the games where they talk. And, like, it's cool to see little things like that. Because you don't fucking get that from the games at all. Games are more about pushing boxes so you can solve a puzzle, to be honest. Uh, Which is great in some instances and poor in others. But, you know, if you're an idiot like me and you're actually like, 
wondering what the story of Resident Evil could be if it was good. I, I actually really recommend the novels so far. They're a lot of fun. Interesting. I would have never expected. Yeah, me like, either. I mean, they could get bad <laughs> later, but like for now, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, it's pretty interesting. Maybe as things get more convoluted, it'll get a little iffy because I can already see inconsistencies. Like uh, at the start of Caliban Cove, uh, there's a bit where they go hide out at uh, uh, Brad's house, who's the helicopter pilot. And they're able to hide out at his house because he skipped town as soon as, like, stuff went down after the mansion incident. Like, he was like, fuck this, I'm getting out of here. Which doesn't happen, because he's in Resident Evil 3. He dies early on. Like, the nemesis kills him. That's, like, your first hint that the nemesis is killing Star's operatives, because he kills Brad. So, like, I don't know how you retcon that when you already fucked that up. He's he left town. Does he come back to town? Oops, bad idea, Brad. You're dead. <laughs> we'll we'll see. I, like, but that stuff doesn't bother me too much because like Capcom probably didn't give her all the information that they could have. Pro- probably, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Certainly not, considering like there's the misunderstanding of like you know Wesker is dead. And the stars are, like, not just cops. It will be interesting to see how this stuff gets tied up or or ignored going forward. You know. But anyway, that's about it for what I did this week and or weeks. You want to talk about Pig Movie now? Yeah, I'm down to talk about pick movie. It's pick time. It's pick time. It's pick time at a pick place. It's time to pick about, you know what I mean? Pig. That's right. For Grosso time. Grosso, which I believe is Italian for like mm-hmm. red pig or like crimson pig. It's I think it's crimson pig. I kind of interpret it to be like, you know, like kind of like the red baron, except he's like a pig. Uh, that makes sense to me, given the subject matter. You know, maybe... Does Disney own Studio Ghibli yet? Mm-hmm. Do they completely own them, though? I don't know for sure. I don't know. I'm wondering if we can get a uh, Porco Rosso versus Snoopy movie. Or I don't even know if they own Snoopy. Look, Snoopy flying his dog. Porco Rosso versus Capcom, the fate of two worlds. <laughs> Seinfeld versus Capcom. Now give you the ride of your life. Any anyway, this is a movie, I think. It's Hayao Miyazaki's sixth film, released in mm-hmm. Japan in 1992. We're in 90s Miyazaki now. Uh, it was based on Miyazaki's short, only 15-page long, 1989 manga called Hikotai Jidai, which I probably butchered the pronunciation of that, but it translates roughly to The Age of the Flying Boat. And the manga was done all in watercolor paintings. It looks really cool. Uh, and like a lot of Miyazaki's work, it showcases the man's love affair with uh, De Plains. 
He likes planes. Lots of planes. Several 1920s era airplanes are lovingly depicted and artistically altered and modified in the manga, and the same can obviously be said of the film that came later. Uh, oh yeah, and the guy's a pig, too. That's also true. I don't know why. Why he pig, Justin? Well, apparently he gave up being a human to be a pig. I don't buy that. <laughs> That's what he said. Fucking dumb. That's <laughs> what he said. He said that. Okay, like before I started watching it, I had an assumption that it existed in some kind of like BoJack Horseman esque reality where there were anthropomorphized animal people and mm-hmm. human people, like normal. But then everybody is just treated as normal in the society. Not that this is only a BoJack thing. Like this is in a lot of things. I mean, I'm just saying, like that's what I interpreted. But no, he's the only animal thing. Yep, in the entire thing. And I don't think the movie justifies its metaphor uh, of him being a pig. Like, I I don't think it's necessary or justified in any way. Like, like he makes, like, a, a joke that, like, all men are pigs. Including him, because he's, like, an actual literal pig. So, like, maybe it's, like, a joke. But I don't know. I... It gives him a bit of character. He looks very different. I'll give it that. I just... I don't understand... Why he had to be a pig. I wish there was more of a reason for that. Or more of a revelation about it. Like, I thought we were gonna get it at a certain point in this movie, but we really didn't get anything. Anywho... This film was made in conjunction with Japan Airlines. And intended as a short film that could be shown to passengers during flights. Uh, not, though you know the deal by now, though. Uh, well, mm-hmm. What was once intended to be a short project balloons into a full feature. Uh, I course. think this has happened like three times in a row now for Miyazaki. I assume every single time he sits down to make a movie, he's like, all right, this is going to be 15 minutes long. And then it's two hours by the time he's done. He's like, fuck. <laughs> uh, the film was... Still shown on Japan Airline flights uh, before its theatrical release, in fact. And this explains the intro to the movie, which has text scroll by in simultaneous Japanese, English, Italian, Korean, Chinese, Spanish, German, French, Russian, and Arabic, which is kind of cool. Although I guess they did produce an English dub for English-speaking customers of Japan Airlines, and that is, I think, the only place you could see that dub, because that dub has been replaced now. That that dub's a rarity. Right. Uh, that dub's been replaced with the 2005 Walt Disney dub released on DVD in that year. So Hell yeah. this is. A mostly lighthearted movie. Mostly, yeah. It 
has a couple serious elements, and I think it was designed to be even more lighthearted than it ended up being, uh, because during the production of this movie, uh, war broke out in the general locations that the movie takes place in, which are obviously locations that Miyazaki and his team would be researching for art inspiration and stuff. Uh, without getting too into it, because uh, I am not an expert on this in any way, uh, the Yugoslav Wars broke out in 1991 and continued into the next decade, and this changed the tone of the film a bit, prompting Miyazaki to incorporate some more serious themes uh, Miyazaki himself has acknowledged this, stating that the real-life conflicts that began during the production made Porco Rosso more complicated and difficult to make. Uh, he's also on record as saying the film was, quote-unquote, foolish. And uh, when asked why he felt that way, he said because he had made an adult movie for children. And uh, to that, I have to kind of wonder um, what movie... Like, um, this seems like more of a kid's movie than a lot of movies he makes, to be honest. Yeah, well, especially he had, when we get further into stuff like Princess Mononoke, which is not a kid's movie. No, not really. Uh, now, like, something like Totoro is definitely a kid's movie. Oh, 100%. Um, and maybe even Kiki's. But, like, Kiki's is they definitely deal with movie. some mature themes still. Like, they they don't talk down to their audience, and I appreciate that. That's, you how, know? But that's how you make a kid's movie. That's how you make a good kid's movie. Well, I, think, I think you still approach, in a kid's movie, serious themes. Yeah, you you should, because yeah. there, there's this weird misconception of media that, like, it doesn't, I guess, doesn't particularly exist much anymore but you see the best animation studios always you know do this which like which is why they're the best your studios like your pixars and your studio ghibli's is like kids in real life that deal with adult themes at an early age it's an unfortunate reality but it's the world that we live in yeah and like and just to whisk that away and act like it doesn't happen is just disingenuous and it doesn't allow you to actually make a good story. I I think one of the most important things to ever be put into a kid's film is the first like ten minutes of up. Yep. Because like I've had arguments with people like in my own family <laughs> about this before. Because like, you know, they they would say like this why would you put something like that in a movie for children? It's too upsetting. And to that, I kind of say, I like a lot of the time with movies for kids, you're trying to pass on lessons or things that they'll hold with them for when they grow up. And I think something like those first 10 minutes of Up succeed at that because, you know, that paired with the rest of the movie kind of show you, like, the general, like, lesson of when someone close to you dies, that doesn't mean you cease to live. That means that you have to, like, embrace, like, your love of them and continue on living as they would have wanted you to as well. And... 
that's fucking deep, man. <laughs> like, and I'm <laughs> glad that you can you can introduce that concept to, to young kids who just want to see the funny dog movie. But like, you know, whether it upsets them or not, it's going to stick with them and it's going to teach them a lesson in, in, I think, a very positive way. Now, I, I don't think Porco Rosso really teaches many lessons at all. Um, it's kind of just a goofy movie. Uh, beautifully done and well made and well animated. Uh, but as I kind of said earlier... I think just comparatively speaking, this is this is the worst one so far. And I want to say worst in quotation marks because it's not a bad movie. Like Yeah, well not at all. I don't no. think by any stretch it's like, a bad on a movie. tier it's list just... it would still be like a B. Right. Like if you're making a Miyazaki tier list, you could probably just get rid of the C, D, and F. And I B agree. is your lowest. Mm-hmm. And this is a B to me. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. There's stuff I liked about it, but there there's stuff that I kind of was just like I I wanted more out of, and thought and like I thought there was going to be more serious elements in this movie given the subject matter that they were broaching early on, but it kind of mm-hmm. just never evolves to anything serious it's kind of just on the surface level really Mm -hmm. so I don't know I guess let's get into it like Justin what what did you like and dislike here um I, I still think there's a lot to like about this movie um first of all the voice acting Let's, let's, oh, this dub is fucking excellent. Ooh. This dub is excellent. My lord. It is fantastic. Um, one of the... It's funny because it's like one of the best dubs we've gotten so far. I think the only exceptions is probably Kiki's. I think Kiki's has the best the, dub so far. Yeah, this is probably the second best dub that we've gotten so far. Um yeah, I can go with that. I'm sure you'll you, you'll get into it a little bit later, but the cast is tremendous. Um, I and as, as a fellow enjoyer of planes, <laughs> um, I was very very fascinated with flight when I was a kid. Lots of aircraft porn in this movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So much so much so that like I I wanted to I wanted to be a pilot when I was a kid. Not allowed to be a pilot. Um, my vision's too bad. Not allowed to wear glasses on a plane, and you have to have 2020 vision to get a flying license. Fuck. So that dream was quickly dead. So I just lived it out through video games. Um. So I played a lot of like Microsoft Flight Simulator, a lot of the Star Wars Space Sim games. I love planes. I love flying. So this movie is good for good 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 for my soul. <laughs> love watching love watching flying. And it's just great for Miyazaki. But that's all this movie is. This is a flying movie. It's a flying movie. And uh, it's really cool. I think that subject matter is better explored later in his career, which we'll get to. Much, much better. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, all of his movies have flight 
in some respect, uh, whether it be via plane or uh, a broomstick or Totoro. Uh, they all have yeah. uh, flight. Um, but this one is is the first one that like really deals with his love of aviation, and it's cool. It's super cool. But I wish there was more to the story. I don't know. Yeah, it is a little shallow. Um, but really, I mean, it's just you know, you got your you got you got Porco. He's a pig. Bounty hunter man. He's a, he's a pig. He's like a he's, he's like a film a noir character. You know, like basically, yeah. He he doesn't have a lot of personality beyond being like standing there and smoking a cigarette and not saying much. You get a little bit of an arc with him where like he doesn't want woman make make his plane but then like comes to respect his uh, mechanic girl. Mm-hmm. Although there's a couple weird aspects of that whole thing that I don't like. Um, and, and also I guess there's like uh, the arc with him and Gina that doesn't, I think fully get explored uh, purposefully by the movie, but I think it should have been more. Where like I, I guess Porco and uh, Gina's uh, fiance like went on like some kind of war venture, and Porco tells us to this in like a dream sequence kind of storytelling thing, and then they all died, and I I think it's implied they ascended to like the afterlife, but Porco didn't. It's a very trippy, weird sequence, and it doesn't explain why he became a pig either, really. No. Uh, but it's apparently supposed to. I felt that was kind of messy. <laughs> and, um. But yeah, like, I guess, like, it's kind of like this un. Like, she kind of wants Porco to, like,. Profess his love to her one day, and he like won't, because he doesn't think that she likes him like that. I guess. And there's a yeah. little bit of development with that, but like it's implied that like he has to not look like a pig to either have confidence or like date anyone at all like i don't really know because it, it seems that throughout a lot of the movie there's like women who are like oh my god porco he's so great he does all the bounty hunting stuff and they're like swooning over porco who is a pig monster man so like is does he really have hang-ups about being in relationships because he seems to be like a bit of a womanizer he says it himself so, like, in the movie. He probably is <laughs> fucking... Like, <laughs> I don't know, like... when uh, I don't know how these themes oh. work with in conjunction with what is actually said to us. When the... Uh, when the... God, what's her... Why I forget the, the name of the, the other girl in this movie? Oh, uh... uh Fio... Theo, when we when when Theo first like tries to to start, you know, going with Porco, he's like, "Are you? I'm a known womanizer. Are you sure you want to come with me?" Mm-hmm. 
Like I said, I guess like he guess he's a womanizer because he's a pig. Get it? Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> it's just like get it? uh, I like that doesn't match with the like him not feeling worthy of Gina or whatever. Like like it could with maybe more development, but I feel like those are two separate plots, kind of. I don't yeah, know. Pretty much. But the real story of this movie is basically just Forco gets beat by Donald Curtis, who is an American in a in like a dog fight, which I think he only does just so that he can prove that he did, because like he's like this hotshot pilot and he wants to say that he's the best, so he like takes down Porco Rosso. And Porco has to, like, fix his plane up so that he can do the rematch against Curtis. Mm-hmm. And then he does at the end of the movie. And their rematch is pretty cool and pretty entertaining and pretty funny. Um, it I, I kind of like that, like... Donald Curtis is, is presented as, like, an egomaniac and a bit of, a, like, an idiot. But he's not presented as, like, an entirely unlikable asshole because there's moments where people like talk to him like he's a person mm-hmm. and he's like like I kind of dig that this movie doesn't have just like a typical asshole villain that Porco has to defeat it, it's it's kind of more layered than that which is nice but at the end of the day, like the story is as simple as he beats Donald Curtis, and that's it. Yep, he did it. And and like their their fight is ridiculous, which I I really enjoyed them uh, having a boxing match at the end of it for it some is reason. Pure absurdity. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> They're throwing wrenches at each other in the sky and shit because they run out of ammo or their guns jam or whatever. Yeah, Porco's gun jams and then uh, Curtis's runs out of ammo. Porco makes yeah. them waste it all. They they heighten this conflict by uh, Fio saying, like, uh, like because she she gets the less the situation get out of hand a bit because she's mm-hmm. like Donald Curtis says. Uh, like wants to, I don't know. He wants to fuck everything that moves because he proposes to Gina like literally a scene before this. But then he proposes to right. Fio and is like, "Why don't you marry me and come back to America?" And she like, she's like, "No." And then like the bet is that if Porco wins, he pays off the debt to fix Porco's ship, which is sizable, and if Curtis wins, he gets Fio as a bride, which heightens things to a cartoonish degree. Uh, but of course, Porco yeah. wins because, you know, they're not going to have the movie end like that. But the thing that, like, really disappointed me about this movie was in its conclusion, they set up more interesting things happening and then do nothing with it. Uh, Gina flies out to this fight to warn them that, Mm -hmm. like, the Italian 
fascist military is coming. Yeah. And this is set up a little earlier in the film because Porco is like not supposed to be in Italy when he's getting his plane fixed. Uh, very hard to be incognito when you're a giant pig man. But regardless, uh, for, for some reason, he has been like excommunicado or whatever. And yeah. will be gunned down if the Italian fascists see him. It's on site. On site. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh shit, the ending of this movie is going to get really interesting because you're going to have to have these petty squabbles be set aside. And I think you're going to see like Porco and Curtis and the pirates have a fight against the real enemy, which is the fascists. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to be sick. But then that doesn't happen. Not at all. It just kind of breezes past Like, it. Porco beats Curtis, and then Gina's like, hey, we gotta get out of here because the fascists are coming. And everybody's like, alright, later. And they leave, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> like, I thought there was gonna be a big conflict that would, like, mm. kind of, like, set up a chaotic... Uh, three-way fight that like eventually like you know maybe curtis and rosso are like all right we gotta fight the fascists maybe curtis would want to do it because he's like american or whatever but right. but like uh i thought that's where the movie punch was a going. nazi i thought that's where the movie was going and i'm very disappointed it didn't go there it's, you see if it was like 20 years later and curtis was like oh time to punch nazis there'd be people like are you really gonna punch him for his beliefs <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. In fact, I will. Yeah. Thank you. Fucking geez. Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping that that aspect of the movie would have more to do with the movie itself. It's kind of just a backdrop for this more cartoonish story. It is very much a backdrop, and it's a little disappointing. Yeah. So that we don't just have a have an entire just long drawn out segment of Porco Rosso beating the shit out of fascists. Yeah, I wanted that really bad. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I thought the movie's end was gonna be the team up against fascists, and I was looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Uh, it was a bit of a cock tease, man. The hell, Miyazaki. Uh, Coward. <laughs> but uh, later in his career, I think we get more in- interesting looks at war. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think he makes up for it later. We'll see. Oh, yeah. I think so, but... This movie still. He's still a coward. Yeah. I'm not doing it in this movie. When he had, like, the perfect opportunity. The multiple times. But uh, eh, it's still a fun movie though. I, I had a great time. Um, the dog fighting looked really cool. Indeed. Um, I don't know. This is an interesting film. What do you uh? Where do you land? But I mean, you kind of came with out with that. But we want to add. Not much. I was going to talk about the dub cast because I think that's probably yeah. the highlight here. That's the best part. Yeah. Let's get into it. You got Michael fucking Keaton as Porco Rosso. Yeah, 
guy fucking kills it, dog. And it works. Um, he has like a really gruff voice, so it works for like this noirish protagonist. Um, you know, you, you know Michael Keaton. He's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he Batman. <laughs> Honestly, Batman's one of the roles that I I, I don't care for him in that much. I mean, those movies are yeah, great, no, he's but not a great like, Batman. I think they're great for the villains. Uh, and the, and yeah, the we, we talked about this yeah. what, a year ago now. Um, you know what I like Michael Keaton in, though? Beetlejuice. Yeah. You know what Beetlejuice has Damn in right. it? Sandworms. Hey, Everything's tied in, tied Dune! In. Okay, so anyway. Everything's Dune. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, if you haven't seen Birdman, watch Birdman. That's probably the best Michael Keaton performance I can think of. Birdman is a fucking masterpiece and and really self-introspective. Uh, here he's pretty good as Porco Rosso. I think that was good casting. Uh, Donald Curtis is played by Carrie Ells, or however you say his last name. E-L-W-E-S. Elwes? I don't know. Uh, nah. He's the guy from The Princess Bride and Robin Hood Men in Tights. And mm-hmm. Saw? He's in Saw. Uh, yep, he's sure in Saw. He's good casting for this, too, because he, he has that uh, cavalier, better-than-you attitude that fits this character very well. Uh, then you have mm-hmm. Kimberly Williams Paisley as Fio Piccolo. Uh, she is from Father of the Bride from 1991. And uh, everyone's favorite sitcom... According to Jim. Oh. I'm just kidding. That's nobody's favorite sitcom. But, uh... I forgot that that was the thing. Uh-huh. You could have said... You could have honestly, like... You could have said, like, any fucking thing. And would have been like, yeah, it's probably a sitcom. <laughs> Pee-pee-poo-poo. Like, right, you could have been like, pee-pee-poo-poo. Yeah. And been like, oh, yeah, that sitcom from the fucking early 2000s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the pee-pee-poo-poo show. Uh... She's pretty good. Uh, she's really childlike, maybe to like a degree that makes some scenes uncomfortable. But uh, yeah, I, don't I, know. I did want to talk about this a little bit because it's kind of a little weird. Well, let's have that side discussion then. Um, How old is she? Question mark. <laughs> Hopefully old enough. Question mark. Uh, I don't know. Yay, Japan. Uh, um, so it's the she's the granddaughter of of Mister Piccolo, not to be confused with Green Man. Uh, but yeah, he he's like a mechanic that helps Porco fix his planes over the years, and you know he has his his granddaughter, who's like a a prodigy at mechanic stuff, uh, help fix the plane. And she goes with Porco on his adventures halfway through the movie. And obviously we have that bit where Donald Curtis uh, proposes to her. He's like, you're beautiful. And, and and then there's like like all of the pirates seem smitten with her to a degree. Maybe because she's... They, said they like, all respect yeah, her. Yeah, respect her. But... I mean, some of them are oogling her, I guess. It's it's a little weird. Yep. Um, and then there's, like, the added elements that are kind of uncomfortable with Porco himself. Where, like... 
like like the Mr. Piccolo ha- tells him multiple times you stay away from her mm-hmm. because he knows what Porco is like. He's a womanizer. He's a known womanizer. Yeah. yeah. So I that already sends some red flags for like what her age is. But then when she goes off with him on the adventure, they have this like little moment where where she's like, "I know what will make you stop being a pig. I need to give you a, a kiss." You get a big kiss him. And he's like, no. Like, mm, I don't think so. I'm, I'm good. But then, like, at the <laughs> end of the movie, she does. And then it's implied that he becomes not a pig anymore. Right. But, like, there's some weird shit there that I don't like. It's like, I don't think their relationship should be romantic, and I don't think it is. It's not. I don't think. Maybe she wants it to that's, be. That's kind of the issue I have. Is like, why does she want it to be? Like, just because I don't know how to feel about it because I don't know how old she is. They keep that that really uh, vague. And I wish they didn't. I wish I could just know one way or another if this is supposed to be extremely creepy or not. But, uh, because there was also that scene where she's like, I'm going swimming. And she, like, strips down to, like, her underwear or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, obscene underwear, but, like, it's presented in a way where, like, Porco kind of looks at her. And I'm like, all right, movie. <laughs> you stop that. <laughs> like, uh, anyway rest of the cast uh susan egan as gina she is uh meg from hercules disney's hercules and she's also has a role in steven universe and a bunch of other stuff uh this one surprised me because i thought i recognized the voice but he is doing a voice david ogden steers as mr piccolo he is uh the thing i like him the most in is mash but you know i realize that uh most people listening to this aren't 50, so I'm not going to talk about MASH at the moment. But uh, nah. uh, maybe more recognizable things that he's uh, been a voice actor for are uh, Beauty and the Beast. He was uh, the clock guy. Uh, Pocahontas, mm-hmm. he's the bad guy in that. And Lilo and Stitch, he's like the, the scientist guy. Uh, he does a lot of voice work and appears in a lot of things. Uh, I like David Ogden Steers a lot. Uh, he's Mr. Piccolo here. Uh, this one surprised me. Uh, Ferrari, Porco's old friend from Italy, who he meets mm-hmm. in the movie theater, and then that's Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants, and oh. a million other things. Uh, it's probably like one of the most prevalent voice actors. Like he's like in everything. Sponge Guy Sponge Pants, huh? Sponge Guy Sponge Pants. He's like the Nolan North of cartoons. You know? Right. <laughs> He's in all of them. Uh, and then we got, like, a couple, like... The, the Pirates uh, only ever have, like, one major character. And that's the Capo, mm-hmm. the pirate leader of uh, Mamiya Ioto, or whatever. I can't pronounce things. I'm sorry. Uh, that's Brad Garrett. You know... Raymond, that's him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Back again. We we, we just uh, saw him briefly last week. He was uncredited as a uh, Baker Dad, but um, 
here he is again. Uh, that that character might be my favorite character in the whole thing. Yeah, I loved the pirates in this. They're presented as very goofy, and I really loved the opening scene where they're like kidnapping, oh, yeah, right kidnapping these little girls, but they're like doing so in a polite way. <laughs> like, yeah, like she's like, are we taking all of them? And the leader's like, yeah, we don't want to separate them from their friends. <laughs> like, what is happening yeah, here? Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> like, like uh, they uh, get taken out by Porco pretty easily, but like. They're they're convinced not to take revenge on Porco later because they would be destroying his uh, the plane that Fio designed. Yeah. She's like, absolutely not. <laughs> Even though Porco wrecked the fuck out of their ship, uh, shit's funny. But like, he like leaves them money for the, the repairs, and like some of the pirates are like, "Well, that's very nice of him, considering." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's 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 a weird dynamic with these pirates that that Porco fights. Uh, and then, like, yeah. there's multiple other members of that gang, and uh, they're voiced by Bill Fagerbaki, who is also from SpongeBob. He's the voice of Patrick. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, who is in every single cartoon ever made. Um, mm -hmm. I know him from the Cleveland show as Cleveland Jr. Uh, at least that's like a voice that I recognize him as. Uh, and Frank Welker, who we've talked about before. He is Fred from Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo from Scooby-Doo, and also the voice behind Totoro in the Totoro dub. Uh, they all show yeah. up here as members of these pirates. Uh, they were fun. I liked the pirates in this movie. Yeah, they're really they, fun. Uh, I, I don't know what Miyazaki's deal is, but he seems to like find like a lot of fun in twisting the uh, stereotype of people like that, and then making them kind of lovable scamps later on. Like like in Castle mm -hmm. in the Sky, there's like a bunch of pirates who are presented initially as the antagonists, but then later on they are basically like you know. In 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 allegiance with the heroes, and not bad people, I guess. And it's very very similarly here, yeah. I, I think that's kind of just like a theme of his work in, in general is that like you know, uh, everything's a little gray. Like there's never like really like besides a couple instances, there's never really. Characters who are truly evil, in a sense. There's characters who are like uh, scamps, <laughs> you know. There's a well, there, there's a big theme that runs through all of his works. I think is like he loves diving into how like circumstances affect a lot of people. Yeah. Rather than like who they are naturally or who they are as people. Some people are a, are a victim of their circumstance rather than a villain of their world. Right. Um, which I uh, agree with most of the time. I think is very fascinating. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Love that shit. So this movie was obviously a success. You mean, you know, mm -hmm. the studio Ghibli's on top of the world at this point. 
Uh, gross and estimated yeah. $44 million against a $9.2 million budget. That's, you know, estimated because, you know, you're dealing with other currencies and stuff. Uh, critical right. success as well. We got a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. All of these movies have been like 90 or above, I'm pretty sure, so right. far. Uh, so, I guess getting into the ranking, which we, we I think we already agree that this is probably bottom. Yeah, and, and, not, and not like a hard bottom, just like a light it's bottom. A you know? bottom. Not, <laughs> it's a power bottom. It's a power bottom. There you go, Rosso, power bottom. Right movie. at the bottom, we have Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. So we yep. are saying it is not as good as that, right? I would believe that. Right. Okay. Yeah, just very slightly worse. I think Nausicaa has very a very slightly. interesting world. Like, There's a lot of, a lot of positives about Nausicaa. Yep. So our current ranking mm-hmm. is number one. Kiki's Delivery Service, number two, My Neighbor Totoro, three, Castle in the Sky, four, Castle of Cagliostro, five, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, five, Porcaroso. Next week, we got a new number one incoming, baby. I guarantee it. Princess Mononoke. I am so fucking excited. My personal favorite. Not, in my opinion, the best one. Because the best of the, you know what the best one is. I think I've said it a couple times on this yeah, show. Yeah, I believe so. I could, I, I, I could write an essay about how The Wind Rises is the greatest animated film ever made. But <laughs> my favorite's Princess Mononoke, and also like the literally the first animated thing I've ever watched in my life. Really? Which is weird. Yeah, yeah that's a weird one to start with. Um, oh sure fuck it is buddy violent watched it when I was, damn what the hell watched it on i watched the hbo version of it when i was very young oh shit i was at my i was staying the night at my grandma's house she just like put on tv and we put on hbo and we saw this anime thing we were like "Ooh, this is cool me and my brother and it got very violent we were like "Ooh, this is cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah i bet this is great time that movie is fucking excellent though and yeah it's a new number one incoming i'll tell you that right now i'll fight for it i i think it's i mean we've both seen this one already uh porco is a movie i hadn't seen before this but i think mononoke just knowing what we know already like there's no way it's not gonna be number one like i'll tell you right now i love kiki's delivery service and i love my neighbor toro but i don't know there's something about mononoke it's such an interesting movie and I, I, I love it's, the fantasy elements and all that shit. Like, God, yeah, it's so The world's cool, cool as fuck. Yeah. world's cool as fuck. The characters are great. Fuck, it's got a great message. Everything about it's super fucking awesome. I'm very, very excited to dive into that next week. Hell yeah. And with that, I'm fucking getting out of here. I gotta get ready for work. That's stupid. Oh, man, that does sound stupid. Yep. Because we have to record in the morning now. Thanks, AT&T. Yeah. Fucks. Fuck you, AT&T. You fucks. I'm going to go find... I'm going to go find John AT&T and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Jonathan AT&T. Fuck. That's too many T's. Should have just had one. Yeah, oh yeah. John at... John at... <laughs> Bye everybody.